It had all things in common. They had all things in common, and they were together who believed. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all as any had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you again that you've allowed us to gather in this place called the church. Father, we know that the building is where the real church meets, for the church is the body of Jesus Christ. And those are those, those are the individuals that place their trust in you. Now, God, take this word, minister to us as we enter into a brand new year of opportunity, 2023. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Just want to acknowledge all of those who have, who have birthdays the first of the month. Uh, um, we try to encourage everyone. So if you know somebody's birthday is this month, uh, please uh, send a, a note or some other expression of encouragement. Amen. Praise the Lord. All of us are not football players, are familiar with, with uh, football. Uh, for many years, I would go to my relative's home. My aunt and uncle had 13 children, but they always had room <laughs> for more. And so when we would go, they would share their beds. They would actually give up their beds so that we could sleep in them. But one of the things I never understood is when we were there on Saturdays, they would have college football on all day. <laughs> Nobody was watching. They were just, it was just on every TV in the house. And uh, I did not understand football. I, I, this is the most boring game under the sun to me. Even when I tried out and, and actually made the team in the 10th grade, Simon Gratz, uh, I only tried out because the coach saw me playing baseball, and he said, man, you fast. I want you on the team. So uh, but I didn't even, ain't nobody explain how you play. I just ran. I was on the kickoff team. I ran up and ran back. Uh, I didn't even get a pair of uh, uh, pants that fit. My pants were too big. I'd be running up the field holding my pants. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't learn how to play football until 11th grade. And then when I finally learned the, the rules of the game, I fell in love with football, and I became an official Eagles fan. If, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> if you understand uh, football in terms of how strategies are developed, you know that no more than 22 players can be on the field at any time. You have the offensive team, the defensive team, and as you obviously know that our Eagles are playing today, the New Orleans Saints, but they just don't show up on Sunday. Prior to the start of the game, game film is watched. And the coaches, especially the head coach, strategize to find out the tendencies of the opposition so that they can be exploited for the purpose of victory, of victory. On the day of the game, when the offensive team is on the field, the coach will will relay a play to the quarterback that they have studied during the week. And then the quarterback will call a huddle. And during that huddle, he will relay not his own play, not something he just decided that he wanted to do, but what was communicated to him based on what they practiced during the week to the offensive team. And so even though a play has been called and everybody who's on that offensive team knows the play, each individual position has a specific responsibility. Running backs don't do what quarterbacks do. Uh, linemen don't do with, uh, what, what, what wide receivers do. So they all have different assignments. And when everybody 
functions according to their different assignment towards a singular goal, scoring a touchdown, even when you are on the opposition team's field and you're being booed and yelled at, unity will silence the enemy. You, you, you want to hear some deafening silence? You go to Cowboy Stadium and score a touchdown, and you're the Eagles. Unity, when we all do our individual parts, even though we are different in terms of how we function within those roles, collectively, they accomplish a singular goal, and that is, is to execute the play as it has been instructed, and when we do, a touchdown is scored, and the enemy, the opposition, is silenced. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at a number of passages, and I don't think there's anything more relevant and significant to preach about on the first Sunday of a new year than to talk about unity. There's nothing more devastating to a marriage, to a job, to, to relationships, to a country on January 6th of last year because of division, a democracy almost fell. And so unity, unity is essential for us to understand. So the same principle of unity that applies to football teams also applies to our church, to our home, to extended families, jobs, and personal relationships. And here's what 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 says. It says, our bodies have many parts, but many parts make up one body when they are all put together. So it is with the body of Christ. Each of us is a part of the one body of Christ. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body because we have been baptized into the Spirit of God. We are one because we have the same DNA. We have God's DNA living in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says when, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that we need that is pertaining unto godliness. We can live a God-pleasing life, and we will have a singular desire because the Bible says that they that are righteous hunger and we thirst for that which is right. That is what the Spirit of God dwelling in us deposits, deposits into our spirit. Unity, unity silences the enemy. Satan loves division. He uses it to destroy churches and marriages and friendships. The adversary, the Bible says, the author of confusion is Satan. God, wherever you see confusion, you know Satan's hand is on it. Uh, he specializes in starting mess and throwing fuel onto the fire of unsuspecting Christians. One of the things that makes tabloids, uh, reality TV, um, a TikTok popular because it's a mess. It's mess. We, by nature, love mess. It's scandal. It's drama. And, and a lot of the stuff that we're carrying around, we have mad. We we can't speak. We can't we can't get over it because you 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 are entangled with social media that is feeding your mind. The Bible says, as a person thinks, what you are taking in is impacting how you think. And so if you are attracted to mess, God calls you carnal. You're fleshly. You're worldly. I'll go even further. Maybe you ain't even saved because you ain't interested in spiritual things. You just want to know the latest dirt. Now, that, that doesn't apply to New Direction. But for all those other churches, Where you find mess and discord, gossip, backstabbing, backbite, all those old archaic terms that are very much relevant today, you know God is not in it. God is not the author of confusion. God said, let everything be done in decency and in order. When we talk about unity, it doesn't mean sameness. We don't all have to dress the same. I ain't dressing like you today. I made a point of being different. Different diversity is a part of divine creation. He made us different. 
I don't want nobody telling me the more I've been married to my wife, the more she looks like me. That ain't a good thing. Mm, no, no. I don't know, no. Difference is God's way of expressing who he is through us through variety. Thank God for variety. So, so unity does not mean the sameness. Everything looks, everybody looks like, please, please. You can go to some churches, everybody got to wear long dresses. You can't wear makeup. You can't wear earrings. Everybody looks like they're preparing for their funeral. I don't, God doesn't say that. That's not unity. That's called legalism. It doesn't mean that there aren't any occasional disagreements. Uh, you can disagree and still come together and, and conclude what direction you're going to go to. But to, so in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said, some disagreements, some heresies, some friction is good. It's beneficial to reach the best conclusion. It doesn't mean that you're stubborn. Uh, unity doesn't mean my way or the highway. If you ain't doing it my way, you must, you're, just, you're just wrong. You got to go. That's not unity. Unity means that we voluntarily come into agreement, say agreement, to work together as one to accomplish a singular vision and mission for the church. We voluntarily, the reason why vision is supernatural is not normal to us because there are no two people that want to do the same thing at the same time, the same way. We different, and we different because we all have sin nature. Sin nature wants its way, not God's way. But unity, when the Spirit of God is involved, we will voluntarily agree to work together towards a common good that is a particular vision or mission. You ought to have a vision and mission for your house. Everybody ought to be on one accord. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless you agree? If you and your wife are not in agreement, you're sleeping with the enemy. Disagreement and disunity will put you on the couch. Disagreement and disunity will put you in the same house, and you go weeks and months without speaking. This uh, division in your home, the Bible says, a house that is divided against itself will what? It cannot, it cannot, and it will not stand. The devil works through division. And he looks, through the, he looks for the weakest link. The Bible says, be, be on guard, be vigilant, be aware that our adversary, the devil, he is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro throughout the earth, seeking who he may devour. Who is he looking for? He's looking for the stray. He's looking for the weak link. He's looking for that baby Christian. He's looking for somebody who's been in the church for a long time. You may even have titles, but you're carnal. You're, un, you're ungodly. You're in a backslidden condition. He's looking for you because a chain is no stronger than its weakest, weakest link. Unity is two or more people working together to accomplish an agreed-upon purpose. A purpose. Why are we doing this? That's why when you talk about unity, you got to start. Why are we doing this? It's a group of people, two or more people agreeing on the process. How should we do? Why what we doing? That bad English, but and it agrees on the product, the what, the what, the what the end will look like. And so agreement, two or more people agreeing on why you're doing something, how you're going to do it and what you expect it to look like when it's finished. Agreement is like, like the two men. They were, uh, one man was working in the front of his door, and he was trying to get a washing machine. He was moving it, and he was struggling with it, and he was perspiring. It, what, the washing machine wasn't moving, and his neighbor saw him struggling. He said, man, I ain't going to let my neighbor struggle. Like, let me go in here and help him. And so he said, can I help you? He said, yeah, you can help me. And so he gets in, and they start, and they're moving this washing machine. Then into about five minutes, into seven minutes, into eight minutes, and both of them are sweating there in the 10 minutes, and they finally back off and said, man. The neighbor said, we'll never get this washing machine in. And the neighbor said, in? I'm trying to get it out. If you don't know the purpose, why, and the process, how, the product, the end result, is going to lead to division and collision. I want you to understand that unity not only silences the enemy, but exposes the enemy. 
You want to know where the devil is? Look for division. Now, don't look for the devil. Just look for division. The devil is an angel of light. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the devil's a spirit being. He's not going to show up, but he will get dressed up because he appears as an angel of light. He works through people. Just like Peter said to Ananias, why have you allowed Satan to fill you? Satan wasn't literally in the room, but he was in the room in the sense that he was in control of a person who was a believer playing with God's money. It cost him his life. I want you to know that when we come to our study today, we're going to look at a number of passages. The key passage that I'm going to start with is John 17. Write that down, John 17. In this section of scripture, it's it, it is a part of a, a long discourse of Jesus to his, his 12 disciples. He has told them that we're heading to Jerusalem. And there, after, after he raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11, in chapter 12, Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. He tells the disciples to find a coat, and he's going to go into Jerusalem. Uh, uh, they're going to have, they're going to have the, the, this is before the cult, but they're going to have the Last Supper, the institution of the Lord's table, is, begins in chapter 13, which is called, it's called, uh, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's called the Upper Room Discourse because the teaching of Jesus occurs in an upper room in a large house, and the twelve are there. It starts with an argument between the disciples about who's going to be the greatest since Jesus is about to establish his kingdom. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And while they're arguing, after Jesus instructs them that we're not like the unsaved, the Bible says that he bends down, he begins to wash their feet. And then he explains that the greatest in the kingdom will be, like me, a servant of all. In chapter 14, he begins to tell them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my father, I'm going away, but I'm going to my father's house. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the paracletos. I'm going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will not only be with you, but he will live in you. Then Jesus talks about in chapter 15, he said, don't forget that this Holy Spirit who's coming, who will bear witness of me, will remind you that I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will. And um, in chapter 16, he says, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit who's coming, in chapter 16, uh, his, his ministry will be to convict, <laughs> to convince, and to correct. So he says, it's to your benefit that I go, because when the comforter comes, he will convict you of sin, he will convince you to, to repent, and he will correct you so that you can restore fellowship. And then we come to chapter 17, the end of the upper room discourse. And it is in that setting that we have what is called Jesus's high priestly prayer. Now, the first thing that I want to share as we're talking about unity, how it silences the enemy, it's revealed in the prayer of the Lord. And we often, we often hear, our Father, which art in heaven, that's the Lord. That's not the Lord's prayer. Luke chapter 18, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So that was the model prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. So it's really not Jesus' prayer. It's our prayer. And then in chapter 17, this is the real prayer of Jesus. The last earthly prayer that he prayed for his disciples is recorded in chapter 17 of the book of uh, John. Now, what's interesting about prayer in Jesus' life is that his ministry commenced with prayer, started with prayer. Throughout his ministry, he continued in prayer. At the close of his ministry, as he's hanging on the cross, he's constantly praying throughout his ordeal, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. That is in the present progressive tense in the Greek, which means that he never stopped saying that. Intermittently, as he's saying the other six words, he's continually saying, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. And today, in heaven, Jesus is currently praying for us 
as our advocate, he's our high priest who maketh intercession for us to God, even right now. And so what I want you to, to consider with me as we look at John chapter 17, we're not going to look at all these verses. We can't do it today, but I, I cur- encourage you to read this chapter in the Word of God. And what we're going to discover is the real prayer, the real prayer, say the real prayer, of the Lord for his followers was that they would be one. Now, of all the things that Jesus could have been thinking about on the night he was betrayed, he knew he was going to the cross. What would you be thinking about if you only had 24 hours to live? You wouldn't be thinking about praying for other folks. (laughs) The one priority in Jesus' mind and heart was that his followers would be one. Because where there's no unity, the devil can destroy. So, so, so let's go through this. Now, what is revealed in this prayer, uh, beginning in the first part, he does pray for himself in verses 1 through uh, 8, is Jesus is our example of how we can experience unity. This is the example. You're talking about getting married. You're talking about taking a job. Don't take a job that doesn't agree with your vision, your mission, what you believe God is calling you to, because you're going to be miserable. Start with, can I be unified with the vision of this, this, this job? Not, can I make more money? Because money is not going to give you contentment. And so Jesus says in verse 4 of John chapter 17, he says, Lord, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work for which you've sent me, which you have given to me to do. And so, and then in verse 9, he says, reading further, he says, uh, in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. So he moves from praying, acknowledging in his prayer that he glorified God. He said, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those who you have given to me, for they are yours. And all, um, all, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am, glor- I, am in, I am glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given to me that they may be one. The first thing that Jesus models for us in terms of how to have oneness, how to be committed to a common goal, how not to be a part of disunity and discord and being an instrument of Satan in your relationship is he prioritized in his life glorifying Christ. That was his main goal for everything that he did was I am going to, he said, I lived a life to glorify you. He said, while I was on my assignment on earth, I glorified you. I made God my priority. Paul puts it this way, whatever you do in word or deed, do it to glorify God. That's the question we should ask in every activity, in every plan. Does this glorify God? Does this magnify God? Does this esteem God? Does this make the world see in me my relationship with him in such a way that, like me, they want to brag on our God? Glorifying God means that you're supersizing God. You're making God large. You're making God bigger than you, bigger than the accomplishment, bigger than the assignment. And everybody knows, even though it got done, the reason it got done is because of who he is. You know how you supersize that meal down at Wendy's? We want to supersize God. And so Jesus said, you want to, you want to walk in unity? Glorify God. Make that your priority. I want him to be seen. I want him to be glorified. I want to love him in such a way that he knows that my heart belongs to him, my soul, my strength belongs to you, God. Is that your testimony? That you live to bring glory to God. But he also lived a life that was committed to humility through serving others. He said, now they know that everything that I have is a gift from you. 
for I have passed it on to them. So he said, then here to Jesus, in his earthly ministry, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He was God before he took on human form. But in the capacity of his assignment, he said, Lord, everything that I had in my human capacity, it came from you. So he's recognizing God for what he has been entrusted with. But he said, what you gave me to do, I gave it to others. And so you want to walk in unity, be like Jesus. He was committed to humbly serving others. Do you have a problem serving others? Or do you feel like you should be served first? Jesus, the word of God said, put the interests of others above your own. Now, how do you know if you have a servant spirit when people treat you like one? How do you respond? <laughs> I ain't no maid. I ain't go to college to be treated like this. How dare they take my parking spot? I thank God I have a, a, a car. Thank you, Jesus. What I'm saying is that the mindset that wants oneness, that wants unity, that wants to honor God, it is committed to serving others first. Is that the way you think? How can I bless my wife today? How can I bless my husband today? Not God, when you go, how are you going to take me to another level? Why should he take you to another level so you can be a higher level of selfish? The Bible said, to whom much is given, much is required. But if you've not been faithful over a few things, why would he give you more? Lord, if you gave me a nicer house, if you gave me, you know, you don't take care of what you have. So he lived a life that was committed to humility. He served others. He glorified God. He supersized God. Everybody and everything that he did, they saw God's hand in it. Can everybody see God's hand in your life? He also lived a life that was saturated in prayer throughout the ministry. When you get to uh, read uh, verses 9 through 26, here's how you maintain liberty, the unity through the example of Christ. He was constantly in prayer. The reason why we got to pray is, one might say, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holding yourself unto God. It's because living sacrifices keep getting off the altar. That's the only problem with a living sacrifice. It doesn't die. So the way we keep ourselves on the altar, the way we remain humble, the way we keep giving God the glory is that we got to constantly be in the spirit of prayer. Because prayer said, Lord, if you don't do it, prayer is a spirit of dependency, of reliance. And so if you're not praying on a regular basis, you are walking in, you're not walking in harmoniously with God. You can't maintain harmony with God when you're not praying because you're in disobedience. The Lord said men ought to always pray. Pray without ceasing. He says when you pray, go. it's not if you pray, it's assumed that that's what you're doing. I'm convinced that the reason the world is the way it is is not because there are too many guns on the street. It's two little Christians calling on the name of God because he said, if my people who are called by my name, if we would humble ourselves and turn from our sins, he said, I will hear from heaven and heal your land. Is God a liar? I believe if the church got really serious about prayer and rather than who has the nicest dress and who has the, 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 the best house, that God would hear and answer our prayer. So it's life with prayer. So the example, so what Jesus does in his prayer, he gives us a model of how to maintain unity. Glorify God, walk in humility, humility, saturate your life with prayer, but also live a life that is sanctified by the word of God. He says, sanctify them, in verse 17, by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And he says, he says and, and, and for their sake, sanctify. So the way you stay clean, the way you stay set apart from sin in the world that hates you because they hate Jesus, the Jesus in you, is by spending quality time in the word. If you want to maintain unity, within the relationships that God has placed you in, you need to sanctify your mind 
The Bible says, by the renewing of your mind, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why you need to be under sound teaching. Because we are, we are prone to be pulled away from unity. We want our way. Sanctify them with the word. When you fail to spend time in the word on a regular basis, it's like not taking a shower for days. That ain't cute. <laughs> no, that ain't cute. That's another word. I'm not going to say stink, but you, you go a few days. You put the makeup on. You can do all of that, but somewhere along the line, it's going to be a telltale smell. It says sanctify them. Get their minds right. Get their hearts right. Get their attitudes right. How? Through the word of God. The Bible says that, that as a newborn babe, we should crave the sincere milk, the pure, unadulterated word of God. You should have a hunger for the Bible. I can't get enough of the word. The Lord saved me. In 1972, and I just love the word because God's word, God's word will not only cleanse me, but it reveals who God is. Here's another thing that Jesus modeled for his disciples. He lived a life that was empowered by the Holy Spirit that makes us grow and mature. In verse 23, he says, I, I in them and you in me, that they be made perfect, complete, mature in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. He said, how, do, how, how is Christ in us and God in him and we in him? It's by the Holy Spirit. So he says, Lord, the way the world is going to know that I actually existed is by the unity of the church. And the way the church is going to be unified is by following my example. I lived a life that was led by the Spirit of God. How often do you ask the Holy Spirit of God what you should do? Some of us are just good church people. We, 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 we don't think any differently from the world when it comes to making our decision. I got to get home to my show. Why are they taking so long? I had to get my attitude right. I was in the Burger King line last night. They were taking long. I got to get to the watch night service. I didn't get out the line now, but I, I, just, I hadn't had a Burger King in the year, but man, I don't know if I'll go back. But anyway, somebody said, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got to stop confessing. <laughs> Unity requires that you are sanctified on a regular basis with the word. Stay in the word and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. When there is disunity and discord, you and your flesh. And so we need to check ourselves. And when we check ourselves, we can identify, what spirit is this? And now the Bible doesn't give, there's no smoking demon, there's no lust demon, there's no boogie demon, all those kinds of things. We give a name for it, stuff that the, but you can have a spirit of lust, you can have a spirit of jealousy. And so we want to recognize that. But if you're not in the spirit, you are going to be controlled by those spirits. That's why the Bible says test the spirit, spirits, plural, to see if they be of God. And so the first thing is the real prayer of Christ was for unity. That was the most important thing on Jesus's mind for the church before he went to the cross. Follow my example. Are you still with me? Then Jesus, a part of his prayer was, Lord, he prayed that we can experience what he modeled. He prays that the Lord would keep us from discouragement in verses 13 through 14. What's really important is when you get around mess and it's in the church, church shouldn't hurt you. But there are a lot of people who've been hurt by church. And just like you can have post-traumatic syndrome from being in Afghanistan and on the battlefield, you can have post-traumatic syndrome from being hurt in the church. And if you don't identify that you've really been wounded by the church, by abuse of authority, a lot of times that's what, it, that's what hurts us, 
and then you get blackballed, you will either leave the church or become discouraged. People that are committed to Christ where there's not unity, the, the trick of the devil is to discourage you. And when you discourage, then you are very susceptible to becoming depressed and to make bad decisions that God doesn't have, would not. He says, Lord, I pray that they will have, instead of becoming discouraged, but they would be filled with my joy. So one of the things that we need when we're trying to maintain unity is to recognize I'm feeling discouraged right now. And the Lord has a remedy for discouragement when you see the church dysfunctional is that he'll give you joy that the world can't take away. Somebody say, Lord, give me joy. If you depend on man to maintain unity, you're going to be discouraged. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're going to be discouraged. If you're looking for the perfect husband, you definitely will be discouraged. Or the perfect wife, let me add. But when those times of discouragement come, the Lord prayed. He said, Lord, give them my joy so that they don't give up. He said that in this field of nonsense and foolishness and people going back on their word and doing things that they said they weren't doing, he said there's this pearl of great price, and the pearl is the church. With all of its imperfections, there's still the pearl, the pearl of great price. He said, Lord, I pray also keep them from being divided by the evil one. He said, I do not pray that, they, uh, uh, that, that you should take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil one. The Lord actually prayed, and this is his continual prayer for us, that the devil doesn't get control of us in our discouragement. Keep them from the evil one. That word means to protect them. Guard them. Some of us have been so influenced by bad experiences that we don't know what a, uh, what a functional, healthy, normal relationship is. We come from dysfunction. So we don't trust nobody. We ain't letting our guard down. Nobody going to know how I really feel. I'm going to keep smiling and keep it moving. And while you're hurting and your heart and your heart's becoming hard, you don't have a heart of flesh, you have a heart of stone. And so one of the ways unity requires that there is transparency, that you can be real, that you can pull the curtain back. But the devil will keep on victimizing you through your discouragement that came from dysfunction. One of the things that should be happening as you are growing in Christ, that you are learning how to be involved in healthy relationships. Lord, I pray that they will not be divided by the evil. Keep them unified through your sanctified word, God. Keep them focused on the example. Here's another thing that Jesus prayed for. He said, oh, righteous father, the world does not know you, but I do. And these disciples know you, know you sent me. And, they have and you have revealed to them and, keep, and will keep them, keep on revealing to them so that your mighty love will be shown through them. What he's saying is, Lord, in the midst of the division and dysfunction, keep their focus on me. One of the reasons why we need to grow in the word is that we need to learn what Jesus is like. What is Jesus like? He, the Bible says, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And he tells us, fix your eyes on him. When you fix your eyes on him in the midst of all that is going on in the church that would discourage you and would cause the devil to have authority over you, you can walk on water. You can overcome whatever the obstacles are as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't care what you're going through. Look at Jesus. I want you to know when you look away from Jesus, your heart will be broken. When you look away from Jesus, you won't see a way out. When you look away from Jesus, you'll just see the mountain. When you look away from Jesus, you won't see any hope. But I hear the word of God saying that the hope of our salvation is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he yet lives and he's seated on the throne and he has all authority and power in his hands. Now, let me quickly go through a few Here's why we can maintain unity. Here's, here's the reasons why we must work on maintaining unity. Let me say it like that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, I'm not going to read all the verses, but the first verse says, make every effort. Say, make every effort. Make every effort. 
to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord would not tell us to do something if it was automatic. So the first reason why we must work to maintain unity is because it's a command. Say it's a command. You got to do it. It is also something that we can do because we are part of the same body of Christ. So God didn't command us to do something he didn't give us the, the power to do. We can. There's one body, one Savior, one Lord, one salvation. We can do this. I want you to know you're talking about a mighty army when the church is unified. You're talking about a powerful marriage when a husband and wife are walking together. In unity. Oh, God, when they're operating in their own individual roles, they, they, they're coming under husband's, the wife's coming under her husband's authority, and he's loving the wife as Christ loved the church. When you're doing it God's way, it works. And it's light in a dark place, and people desire for that. That's why the Bible says be ready to give an answer to every man who asks for reason of the hope that is within you. How are they going to see the hope if you're not walking according to the plan? We can do this. Say we can do this. It is also something that makes us complete. Helps us to complete our calling. Paul says, God has placed in the church gifted teachers and pastors to equip you to do the work of the ministry. He says, so that we will come, we will grow into the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ. When we walk together towards our common calling, it, you help to complete me. I can become all that I'm supposed to be. When my left arm is working right, the right arm don't have to work extra. When the feet is working right, then I, I, I don't feel no pain in my back. And so when we work together towards a mission and a vision as one, we complete each other. We can reach our full potential in Jesus. So that you will no longer be as children who are tossed by every wind of doctrine, by the treachery of false teachers. We can grow in Christ into the full measure of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. That's why you should do it. And here's another reason why we must work towards maintaining unity. It's a command. We complete each other. We can, but it also pleases God. I wanted to please my parents. I didn't always do it, and I got away with what I could, but I really wanted to please. In the depth of my heart, there's something about a child that God has put there. A child wants to please their parents. We should want to please God. We must work towards it. One of the things that God has given us, he's given us an immune system. And that's our, the glands that if, if a sickness is attacking our body, our immune system goes into action. It's like a pr protective force field. You get in the cold, your glands will kick in and, and fight against the germs. It's, it's called an immune system. But there's, an, there's a deadly disease called an autoimmune disease. That is the glands that should be fighting off the attack of the germs that are trying to get into your body. Autoimmune diseases, your immune system is killing your organs. It's fighting against you. What should be working together to keep you healthy, when it becomes disease, it becomes self-destructive. The church is an immune system. I want you to know when, we are, when we're working together the way the Lord has designed us, I don't care what the world does. The Lord says, I am going to give you keys. And when the devil erects barriers, when the devil erects fortresses, we can go through as, we, as long as we're touching and agreeing. The Bible says we're two or three are gathered together in my name, and you're touching and agreeing. We can go through. But when our immune system is working against each other, not only can't we stop what is attacking the church, we are now being attacked by the church itself and we are the church. We must, we must, we must say we must. Now, here's how we, we're going to finish this. Here's how you silence, how unity silences the enemy. When you get a chance in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46, it says that now all who believed were together, say together, together. and they had all things in common. We're talking about unity here. And they sold their possessions and, and goods and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. It said they continuously daily with one accord, say one accord, met in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, say house to house, 
And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, praising God and having favor with people. Man, they had, here's how the, the enemy was silenced through their one accordness. Within the church, the Bible says they spend time together. When the church is unified, you're going, you're going, being together on Sunday morning ain't enough. You're going to spend time with folks away from the church. You're not going to have the spirit, well, to dwell below with saints we know. Oh, that's another story. But to dwell with saints above, that's going to be glory. No, that's not going to be your testimony. They spent time together. When Christians are spending time together, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Two are better than one. And so unity will cause you to spend time together. They will share what they have. Stingy people start sharing. Come, you can eat at my house. Yeah, you can have that biscuit. Just half. But they give you half a biscuit. Seriously, they shared. They shared what they had according to need. They stayed committed to corporate worship. They say came to church. They said they daily went to the temple. Unity will bring you to church. Unity will make you want to come to church. Unity will make you uncomfortable when you're home in the bed when you could be in church. They daily met in the temple for worship. And so one of the aspects of unity is that when the spirit of God is in control, there will be a constant commitment to coming together for fellowship. They started life groups. The Bible said they met from house to house. Somebody say amen. Somebody say, I'm going to join a life group. That's what they did in the Bible. If, if they did it in the Bible, it must be all right. Would, would you agree? Somebody say amen. amen. We join everything else. It ain't helping you be more spiritual. You still mean. You still selfish. You still stingy. You join a life group. Start being transparent and open. Now, everybody, I'm not saying everybody's If you can, you will. But you should. Somebody say amen. They, the spirit led, there was spirit led praise and praise. The Bible says that they constantly were in praise. A person that is operating out of a spirit of oneness and uh, in the mission and vision to glorify the Lord, to make him big, to walk in humility, to honor God. You want to pray, you're going to have a spirit of praise. It's like boiling water, it's coming out. You may be driving in your car, you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You're going to praise him because unity will give you peace. Unity will give you joy. Unity will bring about a calmness in your spirit. It'll drive fear away. So that was within the church. Here's, here's what happens without, outside the church that silenced the enemy. The Bible says that God gave the church favor with men. People outside the church had to say, what is that new direction, church? Man, those folk really love God. Man, they're serious about the Bible. Man, they're serious about moving to Middletown and being obedient to God to build that house of the Lord. It caused people who were unsaved to be in to give favor to the church. People giving loans and say they don't have to pay it back. And people donating that don't even belong to the church. Listen to me, church. Here's another thing that happened that silenced the enemy and exposed the enemy. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Sometimes the reason why the Lord is not adding to the church is because the church is divided. People don't need mess. They don't need scandal. They don't need TMZ. Jerry Springer in the church. They can stay home. They already have that. But when the church is walking together as one, when we are letting our light so shine before men, when we are being the salt of the earth, that's desirous. It broke my heart as you stand with me. I shared the testimony about my son, how God spared his life from the blizzard, blizzard in Buffalo, New York, 40 miles away from home. But there was a 22-year-old nursing student who had driven all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, to be with her family for Christmas. She was six minutes away from their home, and her car stalled in the snow. 
and she couldn't move. She called 911, no answer. She ended up stranded in her car. She called her parents. She said, I'm scared. I would never want to hear that, get that call. I'm scared, Mom. I'm scared, Dad. She was in that car for 18 hours. The car never cut off. She had heat, even though the car was buried. But the worst thing that she wasn't aware of is that the, the snow covered the exhaust pipe. And so while she's sitting in the car thinking she's safe because she's warm, she's inhaling carbon monoxide. And the carbon monoxide is what killed her. I want you to know that the devil who is a spirit is like carbon monoxide. You don't even know he's here. He's here today. And the Bible says he's looking for opportunities to snatch the word that you've heard. As soon as you hear it, he's waiting for you to get into an argument and you forget everything. And so he's here. But when we walk in unity, we have a carbon monoxide detector called the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear people gossiping and lying and telling you why you shouldn't like this one and what that group is like and you know what dates do and how they don't include it, if they were like us, and I tell you, you know that carbon monoxide called the Holy Spirit ought to say, Division, division, division. That's not God. That's not God. Here's the question. Oh, really? Is that what they're like? When are you going to talk to them? The Bible said if you are offended by someone, you're told to go to them. Oh, by the way, how do you know that's true? All of a sudden, the devil going to get silent. <laughs> because the devil has been exposed. In 2023, we want to expose the devil and silence him as we walk in unity through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, it's our heart's desire not just to look like Christians, but to be Christians. Father, it's our heart's desire not to just be kind to those outside of our home. But God, may our place of residency be a place of peace. God, I pray today that we would make a decision that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I pray that you would, you would chase the devil out of every home, that, of each person that is under the sound of my voice. I want you to know, God, that where there's a spirit of fear, that's not of you. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love. Amen. Father, where there's a spirit of jealousy, I want you today to chase that spirit out because that spirit will divide us. God, where there's a spirit of distrust, drive that spirit out, oh God. Father, where there's a spirit of resistance to, to try again, oh God, by your spirit, would you move that? so that in 2023, we will silence the enemy by our oneness. In Jesus' name, amen.